0: Chapter eleven of Abigail Adams and Her Times by Laura Elizabeth Howe Richards. The Sleepervox recording is in the public domain. VEXATIOUS HONORS While the Adamses were still in England, the Constitution of the United States had been framed, had been signed, September seventeenth, seventeen eighty-seven, by George Washington, as president of the convention charged with its preparation, and ratified by a majority of the states now a few months after their return the first presidential election took place and john adams after nominating george washington for president found himself by general consent elected vice-president he took the new honor quietly and seriously as he took everything nor is it likely that mrs adams was unduly elated by it they made little change in their sober way of life we are told that the town of hartford could think of no gift so appropriate for john adams on his way to be inaugurated vice-president as a roll of cloth from its own looms all true patriots heard with joy that when the american fabius stood forth to take the oath of office he was clad from head to foot in garments whose material was the product of the soil but by the time john adams was inaugurated president he had advanced so far that he went to the ceremony in a coach-and-six followed by a procession of coaches and four new york was then the seat of government and it was near new york that mr adams established his family there were to be no more long separations no weary leagues stretching between portia and her dearest friend both of them longed for braintree the home of their hearts but since both could not be there neither would be a suitable home was found at richmond hill then a lovely country place a mile and a half from new york and here some pleasant months were passed mrs adams thus describes richmond hill to her sister the house in which we reside is situated upon a hill the avenue to which is interspersed with forest trees under which a shrubbery rather too luxuriant and wild has taken shelter owing to its having been deprived by death some years since of its original proprietor who kept it in perfect order in front of the house the noble hudson rolls his majestic waves bearing upon his bosom innumerable small vessels which are constantly forwarding the rich products of the neighboring soil to the busy hand of a more extensive commerce beyond the hudson rises to our view the fertile country of the jerseys covered with a golden harvest and pouring forth plenty like the cornucopiae of ceres on the right hand an extensive plain presents us with a view of fields covered with verdure and pastures full of cattle. On the left, the cities open upon us, intercepted only by clumps of trees and some rising ground, which serves to heighten the beauty of the scene by appearing to conceal a part. In the background is a large flower garden, enclosed with a hedge and some very handsome trees. On one side of it, a grove of pines and oaks fit for contemplation. If my days of fancy and romance were not past, I could find here an ample field for indulgence. Yet, amidst these delightful scenes of nature, my heart pants for the society of my dear relatives and friends who are too far removed from me. She was not long to enjoy the beauties of Richmond Hill. In 1790, the seat of government was transferred to Philadelphia, and thither the faithful pair journeyed the change was a most uncomfortable even a dangerous one for mrs adams who had barely recovered from a serious illness soon after her arrival november twenty first seventeen ninety she writes to her daughter from her new abode bush hill as it is called though by the way there remains neither bush nor shrub upon it and very few trees except the pine grove behind it yet bush hill is a very beautiful place but the grand and sublime i left at richmond hill the cultivation in sight and prospect are superior but the schuylkill is not more like the hudson than ida hercules the house is better finished within but when you come to compare the conveniences for storeroom kitchen closets etc there is nothing like it in the whole house as chance governs many actions of my life when we arrived in the city we proceeded to the house by accident the vessel with our furniture had arrived the day before and briesler was taking in the first load into a house all green painted the workmen there with their brushes in hand this was cold comfort in a house where i suppose no fire had been kindled for several years except in a back kitchen but as i expected many things of this kind i was not disappointed nor discomfited as no wood nor fodder had been provided beforehand we could only turn about and go to the city tavern for the night the next morning was pleasant and i ventured to come up and take possession but what confusion boxes barrels chairs tables trunks etc everything to be arranged and few hands to accomplish it for breesler was obliged to be at the vessel the first object was to get fires the next to get up beds but the cold damp rooms the new paint etc proved almost too much for me on friday we arrived here and late on saturday evening we got our furniture in on sunday thomas was laid up with rheumatism on monday i was obliged to give louisa an emetic on tuesday mrs briesler was taken with her old pain in the stomach and to complete the whole on thursday polly was seized with a violent pleuritic fever she has been twice bled a blister upon her side, and has not been out of bed since, only as she has taken up to have her bed made. And every day, the stormy ones excepted, from eleven until three the house is filled with ladies and gentlemen. As all this is no more nor worse than I expected, I bear it without repining, and feel thankful that I have weathered it out without a relapse, though some days I have not been able to sit up i have not yet begun to return visits as the ladies expect to find me at home and i have not been in a state of health to do it nor am i yet in a very eligible state to receive their visits i however endeavoured to have one room decent to receive them which with my own chamber is as much as i can boast of at present being in tolerable order the difficulty of getting workmen mr hamilton pleads as an excuse for the house not being ready mrs lear was in to see me yesterday and assures me that i am much better off than mrs washington will be when she arrives for that their house is not likely to be completed this year and when all is done it will not be broadway if new york wanted any revenge for the removal the citizens might be glutted if they would come here where every article has become almost double in price and where it is not possible for congress and the appendages to be half so well accommodated for a long time one would suppose that the people thought mexico was before them and that congress were their possessors this was indeed an ominous beginning of the winter a week later thomas mrs adams third son was taken very ill with rheumatic fever the natural result of moving into a damp unfinished house in november it seems writes the poor lady as if sickness followed me wherever i go i had a great misfortune happen to my best trunk of clothes the vessel sprung a leak and my trunk got wet a foot high by which means i have several gowns spoiled and the one you worked is the most damaged and a black satin the blessed effects of tumbling about the world a month later things were scarcely better i would tell you that i had an ague in my face and a violent toothache which has prevented my writing to you all day but i am determined to brave it out this evening and inquire how you do without further complaint i have become so tender from keeping so much in a warm chamber that as soon as i set my feet out i am sure to come home with some new pain or ache philadelphia was gay that winter a constellation of beauties was sparkling in the social firmament mrs adams cannot say enough about the dazzling mrs bingham who has certainly given laws to the ladies here in fashion and elegance their manners and appearance are superior to what i have seen she adds i should spend a very dissipated winter if i were to accept one-half the invitations i receive particularly to the routs or tea and cards even saturday evening is not accepted and i refused an invitation of that kind for this evening i have been to one assembly the dancing was very good the company of the best kind the president and madam the vice-president and madam ministers of state and their madams etc but the room despicable the etiquette it was difficult to say where it was to be found she is writing to mrs smith the beloved daughter whom she missed daily and hourly in this same letter january eighth seventeen ninety one we catch a glimpse of the vice-president which would have astonished his fellow workers in congress little john smith was visiting his grandparents at this time as to john says grandmother abigail we grow every day fonder of him he has spent an hour this afternoon in driving his grandpapa round the room with a willow stick i shall never again see a portrait of john adams dignified and portly in powder and pigtail without calling up this pleasant companion picture of the grandfather capering about the room to the whistling of a willow switch the following letters written by mr adams while on a visit to quincy show him in his most delightful aspect you apologize for the length of your letters and i ought to excuse the shortness and emptiness of mine yours give me more entertainment than all the speeches i hear there are more good thoughts fine strokes and mother wit in them than i hear in the whole week an ounce of mother wit is worth a pound of clergy and i rejoice that one of my children at least has an abundance of not only mother wit but his mother's wit it is one of the most amiable and striking traits in his composition it appeared in all its glory and severity in barnveldt if the rogue has any family pride it is all derived from the same source his pa renounces and abjures every trace of it he has curiosity to know his descent and comfort in the knowledge that his ancestors on both sides for several generations have been innocent but no pride in this pomp splendor office title power riches are the sources of pride but even these are not excuse for pride the virtues and talents of ancestors should be considered as examples in solemn trusts and produce meekness modesty and humility lest they should not be imitated and equalled mortification and humiliation can be the only legitimate feelings of a mind conscious that it falls short of its ancestors in merit i must stop you say so many handsome things to me respecting my letters that you ought to fear making me vain, since, however we may appreciate the encomiums of the world, the praises of those whom we love and esteem are more dangerous, because we are led to believe them the most sincere. Prince Edward sailed last Saturday. He sent his aides to visit the lieutenant-governor, but would not go himself. He dined with Mrs. Hancock, and was visited by many gentlemen in town. He went to the assembly with Mr. Russell, and danced with Mrs. Russell. He went to visit the college, but I did not hear that he had any curiosity to see Bunker Hill. He related an anecdote at the table of the English council. As he was coming from Quebec, he stopped at an inn, where an elderly countryman desired to see him. After some bowing, etc., the countryman said, "'I hear you are King George's son.' "'They tell me so,' said the prince. "'And pray, how do you like this country?' why very well replied his highness and how do you think your father liked to lose it why not half so well as i should like to live in it replied the prince which answer pleased the countrymen i hear he took notice of all the french refugees and offered any of them a passage with him to the west indies his stay here was very short and it was best it should be so one has pleasant glimpses of george washington in mrs adam's letters one day she dined with him and mrs washington and found him more than usually social he asked very affectionately after you and the children and at table picked the sugar plums from a cake and requested me to take them for master john the custom of sending bonbons to the children dates back to colonial times when any social entertainment was apt to be followed by what was pleasantly called cold party the day after the hostess would send a judicious assortment of leftover delicacies to such neighbors as had been unable to join the party in my own childhood my mother's going to a dinner party was always an occasion of excitement because of the wonderful bonbons that we children would receive the next day pieces of red or white sugar candy in elaborate wrappings of gilt paper tinsel and gauze i do not see the like today. Philadelphia society was certainly brilliant in those days. The Duke of Rochefoucauld, liancourt was deeply impressed by it, and wrote in his book of Travels, The profusion and luxury of Philadelphia on great days, at the tables of the wealthy, in their equipages, and the dresses of their wives and daughters, are, as I have observed, extreme i have seen balls on the president's birthday where the splendor of the rooms and the variety and richness of the dresses did not suffer in comparison with europe and it must be acknowledged that the beauty of the american ladies has the advantage in the comparison the young women of philadelphia are accomplished in different degrees but beauty is general with them they want the ease and fashion of French women, but the brilliancy of their complexion is infinitely superior even when they grow old they are still handsome and it would be no exaggeration to say in the numerous assemblies of philadelphia it is impossible to meet with what is called a plain woman as for the young men they for the most part seem to belong to another species what were these rich and various dresses we have chapter and verse for some of them one lady wore at a certain ball a plain celestial blue satin with a white satin petticoat on the neck was worn a very large italian gauze handkerchief with border stripes of satin the headdress was a pouf gauze in the form of a globe the crinot or headpiece of which was composed of white satin having a double wing in large plates and trimmed with a wreath of artificial roses falling from the left at the top to the right at the bottom in front and the reverse behind the hair was dressed all over in detached curls four of which in two ranks fell on each side of the neck and were relieved behind by a floating chignon the gentleman who led this gorgeous costume and its wearer through sir roger de coverley was doubtless dressed in more sober fashion one of these republican exquisites thus describes his own costume possibly at the same ball i was dressed in a light french blue coat with a high collar broad lapels and large gilt buttons a double-breasted marseilles vest nanking colored casimir breeches with white silk stockings shining pumps and full ruffles on my breast and at my wrists together with a ponderous white cravat with a pudding in it as we then called it and i was considered the best dressed gentleman in the room the winter of seventeen ninety ninety one was one of extremes the adamses burned forty cords of wood in four months on the seventeenth and eighteenth of march mrs adams dined with all the windows opened put out the fires and ate ice to cool her the glasses at eighty on the twentieth it snowed all day the snow followed by a keen northwester and frost in bad weather it was difficult for the dwellers at bush hill to stir from their abode we are only two miles from town yet i have been more of a prisoner this winter than ever i was in my life the road from hence to the pavement is one mile and a half the soil a brick clay so that when there has been heavy rain or a thaw you must wallow to the city through a bed of mortar without a bottom the horses sinking to their knees if it becomes cold then the holes and the roughness are intolerable the next published letter of mrs adams is dated quincy 11 february 1793 it is to mrs smith and is largely concerned with political issues which to-day have lost their poignancy she has much to say of the artifices and lies of the jacobins meaning the anti-federalist party which was opposed to washington and adams it is strange indeed to read today that the president has been openly abused in the national gazette abused for his levies as an ape of royalty mrs washington abused for her drawing-rooms their celebration of birthdays sneered at himself insulted because he has not come forward and exerted his influence in favor of a further compensation to the army they even tell him that a greater misfortune cannot befall a people than for their president to have no competitor that it infuses into him a supercilious spirit renders him self important and creates an idea that one man only is competent to govern they compare him to a hyena and a crocodile charge him with duplicity and deception the president has not been accustomed to such language and his feelings will be wounded i presume i presume they were nobody likes to be called a hyena and a crocodile and pater patriae could not fail to be sensible of a lack of propriety in the epithets it was all natural enough perhaps these were the days of the french revolution and all the world was heaving with the throes of that tremendous convulsion we were fortunate to get nothing worse than a little recrimination which did no lasting harm we are ignorant of the names of those who called washington hyena and crocodile and we have no curiosity on the subject neither president nor vice-president had much comfort in their second term the political pot was seething furiously men were burning their fingers and crying out with the pain of the burning envy hatred malice and all uncharitableness ran rife in the republic where brotherly love should rule in peace six months before the end of his second term washington announced his resolve to retire from public service a resolve not to be shaken by any entreaties by this time the country which had stood united through the first presidential election and divided only on the minor issue the choice of a vice-president in the second was definitely split into two factions federalists and democratic republicans faced each other in ardent strife as I have said before, I am not writing a history. Suffice it to say that John Adams, as Federalist candidate, was elected president. His rival, Thomas Jefferson, becoming Vice-President. Mrs. Adams' letter to her husband on this day of his inauguration, February eighth, seventeen ninety seven has become a classic and is in every way worthy of her. The sun is dressed in brightest beams to give thy honors to the day and may it prove an auspicious prelude to each ensuing season you have this day to declare yourself head of a nation and now o lord my god thou hast made thy servant ruler over the people give unto him an understanding heart that he may know how to go out and come in before this great people that he may discern between good and bad for who is able to judge this thy so great a people were the words of a royal sovereign and not less applicable to him who is invested with the chief magistracy of a nation though he wear not a crown nor the robes of royalty my thoughts and my meditations are with you though personally absent and my petitions to heaven are that the things which make for peace may not be hidden from your eyes my feelings are not those of pride or ostentation upon the occasion they are solemnized by a sense of the obligations the important trusts and the numerous duties connected with it that you may be enabled to discharge them with honor to yourself with justice and impartiality to your country and with satisfaction to this great people shall be the daily prayer of your a A. philadelphia was still the seat of government the new city of washington not being yet ready for occupation there are a few published letters of this period the cares and calls of society were heavy upon mrs adams she had never fully recovered from the illness of seventeen ninety and was subject to recurrent attacks of fever she spent as much of her time as was possible at quincy the name now given to that part of braintree where they lived when in philadelphia and later in washington she performed the duties of her high office carefully thoroughly and with her own stately dignity but i doubt if she ever enjoyed them she writes to her friend mrs james warren on march fourth seventeen ninety seven for your congratulations upon a late important event accept my acknowledgments considering it as the voluntary and unsolicited gift of a free and enlightened people it is a precious and valuable deposit and calls for every exertion of the head and every virtue of the heart to do justice to so sacred a trust yet however pure the intentions or upright the conduct offences will come high stations tumult but not bliss create as to a crown my dear madam i will not deny that there is one which i aspire after and in a country where envy can never enter to plant thorns beneath it the fashion of this world passeth away i would hope that i have not lived in vain but have learned how to estimate and what value to place upon the fleeting and transitory enjoyment of it i shall esteem myself peculiarly fortunate if at the close of my public life i can retire esteemed beloved and equally respected with my predecessor mr adams's feelings are expressed in the following words written to his wife the day after the election your dearest friend never had a more trying day than yesterday a solemn scene it was indeed and it was made more affecting to me by the presence of the general whose countenance was as serene and unclouded as the day he seemed to me to enjoy a triumph over me methought i heard him say i i am fairly out and you are fairly in see which of us will be happiest when the ceremony was over he came and made me a visit and cordially congratulated me and wished my administration might be happy successful and honorable there were thorns enough in the presidential crown for both mr and mrs adams the storm instead of abating rose higher and higher there was danger of war with france a danger only averted by the rise of napoleon bonaparte to power as first council of france consequent upon these troubles came the alien and sedition acts which brought endless vexation of spirit for president adams and for everyone else concerned in them the details of the struggle may not be given here suffice it to say that through four tempestuous years the old statesman fought gallantly and steadfastly for the political principles which were dearer to him than life itself but fought in vain the tide had set against him and in november eighteen hundred he had the intense mortification of seeing his colleague his former friend and present rival thomas jefferson elected president in his place this was bitter indeed to the stout patriot who had given his whole life to the service of his country conscious of his absolute integrity he is vain and irritable said jefferson himself but disinterested as the being who made him and his unfailing devotion john adams could not but resent the slight put upon him nor strive as she might could his faithful portia help resenting it for him she writes to her son thomas november thirteenth eighteen hundred well my dear son south carolina has behaved as your father always said she would the consequence to us personally is that we retire from public life for myself and family i have few regrets at my age and with my bodily infirmities i shall be happier at quincy neither my habits nor my education or inclinations have led me to an expensive style of living so that on that score i have little to mourn over if i did not rise with dignity i can at least fall with ease which is the more difficult task i wish your father's circumstances were not so limited and circumscribed as they must be because he cannot indulge himself in those improvements upon his farm which his inclination leads him to and which would serve to amuse him and contribute to his health i feel not any resentment against those who are coming into power and only wish the future administration of the government may be as productive of the peace happiness and prosperity of the nation as the two former ones have been i leave to time the unfolding of a drama i leave to posterity to reflect upon the times past and i leave them characters to contemplate my own intention is to return to quincy as soon as i conveniently can i presume in the month of january it was at this trying time that the seat of government was transferred to washington what the president's wife thought of the move is apparent from the following letters to her daughter i arrived here on sunday last and without meeting with any accident worth noticing except losing ourselves when we left baltimore and going eight or nine miles on the frederick road by which means we were obliged to go the other eight through the woods where we wandered two hours without finding a guide or the path fortunately a straggling black came up with us and we engaged him as a guide to extricate us out of our difficulty but woods are all you see from baltimore until you reach the city which is only so in name here and there is a small cot without a glass window interspersed amongst the forests through which you travel miles without seeing any human being in the city there are buildings enough if they were compact and finished to accommodate congress and those attached to it but as they are and scattered as they are i see no great comfort for them the river which runs up to alexandria is in full view of my window and i see the vessels as they pass and repass the house is upon a grand and superb scale requiring about thirty servants to attend and keep the apartments in proper order and perform the ordinary business of the house and stables an establishment very well proportioned to the president's salary the lighting the apartments from the kitchen to parlors and chambers is a tax indeed and the fires we are obliged to keep to secure us from daily agues is another very cheering comfort to assist us in this great castle and render less attendance necessary bells are wholly wanting not one single one being hung through the whole house and promises are all you can obtain this is so great an inconvenience that i know not what to do or how to do the ladies from georgetown and in the city have many of them visited me yesterday i returned fifteen visits but such a place as georgetown appears why our milton is beautiful but no comparisons if they will put me up some bells and let me have wood enough to keep fires i design to be pleased i could content myself almost anywhere three months but surrounded with forests can you believe that wood is not to be had because people cannot be found to cut and cart it breesler entered into a contract with a man to supply him with wood a small part a few cords only has he been able to get most of that was expended to dry the walls of the house before we came in and yesterday the man told him it was impossible for him to procure it to be cut and carted he has had recourse to coals but we cannot get grates made and set we have indeed come into a new country you must keep all this to yourself and when asked how i like it say that i write you the situation is beautiful which is true the house is made habitable but there is not a single apartment finished and all within side except the plastering which has been done since briesler came we have not the least fence yard or other convenience without and the great unfinished audience room i make a drying room of to hang up the clothes in the principal stairs are not up and will not be this winter six chambers are made comfortable two are occupied by the president and mr shaw two lower rooms one for a common parlor and one for a levee room upstairs there is the oval room which is designed for the drawing-room and has the crimson furniture in it it is a very handsome room now but when completed it will be beautiful if the twelve years in which this place has been considered as the future seat of government had been improved as they would have been if in new england very many of the present inconveniences would have been removed it is a beautiful spot capable of every improvement and the more i view it the more i am delighted with it twenty seven november eighteen hundred i received your letter by mr two articles we are much distressed for the one is bells but the more important one is wood yet you cannot see wood for trees no arrangement has been made but by promises never performed to supply the newcomers with fuel of the promises briesler has received his full share he had procured nine cords of wood between six and seven of that was kindly burnt up to dry the walls of the house which ought to have been done by the commissioners but which if left to them would have remained undone to this day congress poured in but shiver shiver no woodcutters nor carters to be had at any rate we are now indebted to a pennsylvania wagon to bring us through the first clerk in the treasury office one cord and a half of wood which is all we have for this house where twelve fires are constantly required and where we are told the roads will soon be so bad that it cannot be drawn Breesler procured two hundred bushels of coals or we must have suffered this is the situation of almost every person the public officers have sent to philadelphia for woodcutters and wagons you will read in the answer of the house to the president's speech a full and explicit approbation of the administration a cooperation with him equal to his utmost expectations this passed without amendment or any debate or squabble and has just now been delivered by the house in a body the vessel which has my clothes and other matters is not arrived the ladies are impatient for a drawing-room i have no looking-glasses but dwarfs for this house nor a twentieth part lamps enough to light it many things were stolen many more broken by the removal amongst the number my tea china is more than half missing georgetown affords nothing my rooms are very pleasant and warm whilst the doors of the hall are closed you can scarce believe that here in this wilderness city i should find my time so occupied as it is my visitors some of them come three and four miles the return of one of them is the work of one day most of the ladies reside in georgetown or in scattered parts of the city at two and three miles distance mrs otis my nearest neighbor is at lodgings almost half a mile from me mrs senator otis two miles we have all been very well as yet if we can by any means get wood we shall not let our fires go out but it is at a price indeed from four dollars it has risen to nine. Some say it will fall, but there must be more industry than is to be found here to bring half enough for the market for the consumption of the inhabitants with kind remembrance to all friends, I am your truly affectionate mother, a a. Joseph Cotton Smith, member of Congress from Connecticut, adds these details one wing of the capitol only had been erected which with the president's house a mile distance from it both constructed with white sandstone were striking objects in dismal contrast with the scene around them instead of recognizing the avenues and streets portrayed on the plan of the city not one was visible unless we except a road with two buildings on each side of it called the new jersey avenue the pennsylvania leading as laid down on paper from the capitol to the presidential mansion was then nearly the whole distance a deep morass covered with alder bushes which were cut through the width of the intended avenue the then ensuing winter the roads in every direction were muddy and unimproved a sidewalk was attempted in one instance by a covering formed of the chips of the stones which had been hewed from the capital. it extended but a little way and was of little value for in dry weather the sharp fragments cut our shoes and in wet weather covered them with white mortar mrs adams was to have only four months of this disturbed existence the climate of washington the general discomfort added to anxiety and distress of mind made her ill and she left the city before mr adams did during her short stay however she won the admiration of all by the dignity grace and judgment with which she filled a most difficult position she never lost her cheerfulness i am a mortal enemy she said to anything but a cheerful countenance and a merry heart which solomon tells us does good like a medicine so in those dark days when the tide of abuse and calumny raged around her beloved husband she was more than ever the lamp that lighted and the fire that warmed him whatever was said of him and one fancies that hyena and crocodile were mild epithets compared with those showered on the brave old statesman no one had anything but praise for mrs adams on january first eighteen o one was held the first new year's reception at the white house she received the guests with her own calm grace and dignity no one would have guessed that the house was half finished the principal stairs still lacking her china stolen and her husband defeated she was mistress not only of the white house but of the situation the closing days of the winter must have been painful to both mr and mrs adams they longed for the end for the permanent return to calm happy braintree and before march came mrs adams was already there ready to receive her dearest friend one of mr adams last acts was the appointment of john marshall as the chief justice of the supreme court for this alone he would deserve the lasting gratitude of the american people he could not meet jefferson whom he had once loved with whom he had toiled suffered triumphed by whom he was now defeated on march third eighteen o one he labored far into the night signing commissions arranging papers in his own methodical way closing as it were his accounts with a nation which he could not but think ungrateful Early on the morning of the 4th, while the city was still wrapped in slumber, he entered his carriage and left Washington forever. End of chapter 11